0: you are listening to World of Noise on X-Ray FM and on the X-Ray Podcast Network. I'm your host, Bob Ham. Each week on the show, I spend some time with the musicians making noise in and around Portland and those folks who are supporting the local scene. Later on in the show, I'll be speaking with Patricia Wolf, one of the key figures in the world of electronic music and sound art here in Portland. But first, it's time to take five. If you're new to the show, Take 5 is a regular feature where I ask a local artist to choose five songs that were important or influential to them and their work and to give us some insight into each one. This time around, though, we're actually taking six because I'm joined by members of UVs, a fantastic post-punk band who are set to release their new album Human Dance this week and are celebrating this with a show on March 14th at Bunk Bar. But since my initial contact with UVs ended up letting me know that there will be two people being interviewed, the only fair thing to do was have them pick three songs apiece. And what they chose is a perfect summation of their sound with tunes by Per Ubu broadcast and fellow locals lithics in the mix and also in the mix of this interview is a third member of the group but uh, he didn't get to choose any songs so we're still leaving it to brendan and sam from uvs to make the song selections but don't take it from me about how great these songs are let's hear what the members of uvs have to say about their selections on this edition of world of noise well brendan sam jake of uvs thank you all so much for being on the show today
1: Thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks. thanks for having
0: us. So let's uh, go through the list that you sent me of you each picked three songs apiece, uh, songs that were important and influential to you. And I'm going to start with you, Sam. Uh, your first pick was Velvet Underground's Here She Comes Now.
2: Yeah, I was kind of in between that one and and Run, Run, Run. Uh, I think just lyrically they're really interesting, and anything that Velvet Underground did, it just, uh, I I never get tired of it kind of thing.
0: Okay, when was the first time you heard the Velvet Underground? How did they come into your world?
2: I Actually, it it was the first time I ever bought a record player, um, I went to the record store. I was like, I'm just going to pick something that I've never heard before. I saw the Banana record, and I knew who Andy Warhol was, but I had never heard of Velvet Underground. Okay. So it was kind of just a miracle, <laughs> lucky pick. Um, and yeah, it blew me away.
0: Wow. Yeah. You uh, had never listened. When? What year was this? When did this happen?
2: Oh, that was probably 2000. 2000- 2013 14 maybe
0: okay were you playing music at that time was this uv's up and rolling at that point
2: oh no i didn't even know these guys at that point I was still i went to art school um yeah yeah and then i didn't meet them until probably four years later
1: Maybe twenty sixteen. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: So this was there
0: any interest in playing music in your head at that point?
2: I uh, I always loved music. I but I had only played like ukulele. Just I was gonna say don't leave out the part
3: where you you were a ukulele kid. I loved the
2: ukulele. Oh my god! Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, she posted all kinds of covers of her doing hip hop songs. Oh no, I (laughs) (laughs) didn't. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever, like, what, yeah, like, Kendrick Lamar numbers on a ukulele. I wasn't
2: quite that bad. I did learn some pretty embarrassing pop songs, though. <laughs> I, yeah. I, don't don't lie. Well,
0: <laughs> we all have to start somewhere, Brandon. Come on.
2: You do. You do.
0: Well, then, let's start from the start. How did you meet uh, Jake and Brandon here to get UVs underway? When did this all begin?
2: We were making... Uh, okay, so Brennan and I—we were making wieners. No, we, Jake was making the wieners. We were s- front of house serving them. We were out. slinging the wieners. We were slinging the wieners, slinging
0: wieners as we do.
2: <laughs> yes, uh, a Dirty Frank's Hot Dog Palace in Columbus, Ohio.
0: Wow, That's
2: where it all began.
0: Columbus, Ohio. How did you all end up here in Portland?
1: Oh, we got stranded in uh, just in between Austin and El Paso. Brennan and I touring with a. Uh, Uh, It was like a kind of more lo-fi version of like UVs, but it was just us plus a drummer. And uh, yeah, we just got stranded in Texas and then just kind of hopped our way north to Colorado and uh, then found work at a pot farm in uh, rural Oregon. Well, how did you end up here
2: in Portland then, Sam? I... Uh, Kind of kind of by chance. My best friend moved out here. Um, well, she moved to San Francisco and then moved here from there. And I was just kind of looking for a change of pace. And I had never been to the West Coast before. So I'm like, hey, I'm just going to do it. So.
0: so then UV started, as you were saying, Jake, a lo-fi kind of project that uh, blossomed into a band.
1: Yeah, it was a recording project of uh, Brendan's that he would like take songs to me. And we kind of... Uh, improm- like did like an impromptu tour on it. and
3: uh, Yeah, it was at that point even barely... I don't want to say it wasn't about the music. It, it was about performing, but a lot of those songs are just like re- really bad stuff recording recorded in uh, our living room at the time. And they were like me trying to be Sid Barrett or something. <laughs> 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 so it wasn't really representative of the band at all. We didn't sound anything like that. We went out playing like... More uh, disjointed and fast, and uh, so I, it was probably not really a great representation. But I was like, all right, these are songs I got recorded. Let's put it on a CD and let's just get in the van and go. Because the uh, the environment we were living in was very uh, was deteriorating at the time. It's Columbus, uh, the Midwest in general, the Rust Belt's hard to, hard to live in. So uh, we basically just got an old folks' ha- uh, old folks' home van. It was, like, 15 passengers, and they ripped all the seats out of it and uh, built bunks and, like, fashioned a little place to, like, a little place for a butane stove and cabins and things like that. And then just kept traveling wherever the one took us. Okay. Did that for about a year.
0: Nice. So how much did the sound of the band then change once you got Sam involved and started thinking of this as a full band project?
3: Uh... I, it was... It, it, I wouldn't say drastically, but it uh, it was more of like an additive property. Like, I think, wait, wait. So we did like the EP and everything, and like underneath, underneath the newer songs, that's still there. You know, like the yeah, it's the kind of
1: like driving
3: cacophony rhythms. of noise and and bass forward kind of thing. Mostly, Sam is sort of like co-fronts the band with me now. So she does a lot, uh, a lot of singing. The ne- the ne- like record that we're going to work on, or that we're currently writing for, it's gonna she's gonna sing a lot more. So um, she sings a little bit on on the new record. She's and uh, so yeah, it's we gotta got like another character to write for. Nice. Know? So and uh, I don't know. I don't know what your character is yet. She's kind of cool.
2: She's morphing. She's morphing.
0: Well, talking about, you know, cacophonous (laughs) bass forward music, uh, it's a good place to start in with your first pick, Brennan, which is uh, Brainiac's Hot Metal Dobermans. Tell me about uh, how Brainiac came into your world and influenced you.
3: I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, so that was really fun to find that in basically in your backyard kind of deal, you know. Um, So yeah, like there was like the big three in Dayton, just like the breeders, Guided by Voices, Brainiac, and uh, uh, Brainiac. uh, It it was just kind of like one of those like, where did this come from moments, you know? Like, and I kind of when I listen to music, I when I hear something that like. Oh, wow. Some like I couldn't have thought of that, you know. And uh yeah, it just it, it just sounds like delightfully deranged. And and I I really like that. I don't know. I, I feel like that. <laughs> I think I might be a little, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little manic in my personal life, so that it, it makes <laughs> it kind of it, that's what that feels like. <laughs> like that song feels like that feeling of like ah.
0: Is it something you try to harness in your own music then?
3: yeah I think it just comes out like that and then like of course like you know if you kind of stumble onto something you, you like emphasize it a little bit but yeah I I think the music sounds kind of like who we are as people we're kind of kind of like goofy higher energy <laughs>
0: let's move to another of your picks and you chose broadcasts. I found the F one of my favorite bands, one of my favorite songs by that band. Tell me about broadcast for you.
2: Uh, broadcast feels like you're not on planet earth anymore when you hear it. It's like a warm hug. Oh God, it's beautiful. It's like you're in a dream. It's, And every time I hear that song in particular, I feel the same way that I did when I heard it the first time. Mm,
0: Where was the first time you heard that song?
2: Actually, Brendan turned me on to them at the hot dog restaurant. (laughs) We would close. It was like every Monday or something, and we would just trade music. And yeah, that was one where I was like, holy crap, I, you know.
1: That was fun working at the hot dog joint, playing like disjointed stuff like Brainiac and Six Finger Satellite, uh, while, yeah. while the churchgoers were coming yes. in Sunday morning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, oh, you're not going to tip us well anyway, so you yeah, know, enjoy is. Six Finger Satellite. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you hear a particular like correlation between the work that broadcast did and what you guys are doing in UVs? Uh, I,
3: I'm sure. Yeah, I, I. I think i've listened to their entire discography probably uh, like a thousand times at least Mm -hmm. um so it's very like embedded into my skull at this point it's like Mm -hmm. tattooed on my frontal lobe so i'm sure in one form or another it did okay um i would say the probably the like expressionist factor of like a lot of the hissing synths and things like that right and the like kind of like the eight bit sounds yeah i kind of wanted to try to do that like i i just bought a like a a really cheap 80s casio and ran it through pedals and stuff for some of our newer songs so i think that's coming forward too
0: nice yeah
3: Yeah, so definitely yeah um and trish has the most beautiful voice i've ever
0: heard in my Mm -hmm. entire life so absolute shame we're never gonna hear it again let's move on to another of your picks brendan another midwest artist per ubu you chose one of their songs and i I thought it was rather unusual choice real world
3: Just sounds
4: Man, once feel.
3: once again in that delightfully deranged way. I love it. Dave Thomas is crazy, weird dude.
0: <laughs> Very weird. dude. Yeah,
3: I love watching him <laughs> perform, and he sounds like I forget which track track it is on Modern Dancer. at one point you just hear.
1: A, <laughs> I think that was Non Alignment. Uh, non Alignment. Yeah, he does it on Non Alignment Pact. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like it's it's kind of hilarious, but you like obviously like you've taken uh, like on some of the songs where like you know you'll hand the guitar off to riley and you sing you kind of i've noticed you take almost like a dave thomas approach to it not quite this yeah. mm-hmm. not quite as uh i don't want to say flamboyant but yeah is it uh i don't know what the right word would be idiosyncratic i'm, I'm, I'm not something. one of those smart word people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah boisterous it was very boisterous yeah yeah that, that yeah I noticed after descriptor. after you started getting like hard into Perubu uh, you started being a little more like boisterous with the vocal takes
3: yeah but I guess to touch on the question why real world? i I love the use of the slide in that song Mm. Uh, it's like just weird and disorienting and i like that i think that's cool also like that like backbeat kind of thing the bass is just kind of right behind it just thumbing along and the drums are kind of doing the one two and that so it's like it's it's like it's kind of got the like jigsaw falling downstairs feeling yeah i love that i love where it's like your brain kind of has to do the the rest of the work to assemble it because it feels like slightly behind its each part feels slightly behind itself. Mm. So it's kind of like brain puzzle music. You know, you could like <laughs> kind of imagine what it would be like if you slid that drum track a little to the right or something. Which I love that. That's, it's it makes it makes it interest more interesting every time you hear it because you'll you know you'll find a different way to hear it because it's a little more in the abstract realm.
0: Right. But. Now, had you <laughs> have you seen Per Ubu live? or whatever uh, version of it is now?
3: Yeah, so... So, we were going to go see Peribou when they are coming through Star Theater. F- lived in Ohio for 20 years of our lives, or, well, 20 some odd years, whatever, and uh, never got a chance to see Peribou. Uh... It, but they were coming to Star Theater, and Dave Thomas got sick. That's
0: right. Yeah, it was very recently. That not too long ago. That's like again. two last, years yeah. ago,
3: yeah, or last year or something. But yeah, we drove to Star Theater, and then we saw on their Instagram as we were like pulling up to Star Theater.
0: Um, I just wonder about that about uh, artists that you've seen live that you feel you're you're sort of taking um, in taking as influences to how you present yourself live. Mm-hmm. If that was one of them, if you maybe saw some footage of them, and you know, maybe brought a little of that to your live performance or if there are other people that uh, you sort of look to as great live performers that you try to aspire to
3: sorry I'm also uh, a l- little brain dead right now <laughs> <laughs> it's okay was, uh, DJing last night um, so are you talking about like d- as far as like per was would Dave Thomas be like uh, somebody influential, like live. influential on uh, live performance
0: yeah or, or anyone that you have seen or heard like their live records or seen them play and you're like you know that's someone that you kind of like look up to as like how to perform
3: Live. um yeah yeah uh, maybe not specifically but i think it would just be in the myriad of of punk, you know punk rock performers where it's mm-hmm. like you know that's what i loved about it i think I, I was like really young when i started getting into punk and i think i probably the first performer that stuck out to me was like darby crash maybe okay because he was just very like like visibly drunk and like didn't care like just kind of the like ultimate nihilist really. the, yeah the, the nihilism of the performance while still having energy like yeah yeah, I thought, I thought that was fun. Like, it didn't matter. It was like, he was kind of doing it more for himself than he was anybody there. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I kind of like that. I kind of, um, but lately I've been I've been finding myself being a little more sassy. You um, are sassy,
2: like hand I keep, on the hip. Yeah, people. Yeah. Keep, I, I keep doing
3: this like hand on my hip thing, and then like
2: leaning out. Yeah,
3: and people keep snapping pictures of it. Like you are like becoming a sass queen. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm cool with that. You know, that's fine. So like, so yeah, Dave Thomas with a little bit of sass,
0: maybe. <laughs> Brandon, you talked about DJing, which apparently you did last night. Do you do all three of you do that, or just you, Brandon? And if so, what do you play when you're out spinning records?
3: Sam and I do it uh, over at Jinx. Um, I, if, when the night goes on, because it is like kind of like a you know like a like a a, a dinner spot too. Mm-hmm. So we usually get there as the dinner crowds like wrapping up. So it's kind of a lot of, like, soul and... and
2: There's more what we want to play and then what we should play
3: for the people. (laughs) So, yeah.
2: (laughs) The poor people trying to eat dinner. Typically starts
3: (laughs) starts out with, like, soul and funk. Ohio players. Otis Otis Redding. Otis Redding.
2: Michael Dennington. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... And then uh, some Parliament. mm
2: -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it usually
3: works its way up to the end of the night and, like, kind of, like, more, like... Safer introductory punks st- or safer like uh modern punk bands, mm. like Omni or yeah. Parquet Courts. Like you could play that at a mm-hmm. restaurant and people won't be too Right. You know, but then as the night goes on, it's Harrowing. lick my decal- lick my decals <laughs> off baby all the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, that <laughs> is Captain a- B-
3: Far? trout mask replica all night long, five times, <laughs> with five turntables all fired at the same time.
0: <laughs> Just how he would have wanted it. Exactly. Someone's
2: gonna like it.
0: Yeah. Well, that is a great transition, and I don't mean to skip your turn, Sam, but you did pick as your third song, uh, Brendan, uh, Captain B- Far's "Lick My Decals." Uh-oh. You speak, and so oh, you tell me song. about uh, hearing Beefheart for the first time and uh, how you landed on that song in particular.
3: Um, I was on Psilocybin Mushrooms, so that's a, a, probably as good a time as any to find Captain Beefheart.
0: Uh, probably the perfect time to find Captain Beefheart's yeah, music.
3: I just remember uh, laughing <laughs> hysterically when I heard it. I like Sure. And everybody else is like, it's not that funny. And I'm like, no, this is hilarious. <laughs> Like and I just I just laughed really hard and then I went and listened to it again and I laughed really hard still so like it wasn't it wasn't just the influence like I actually found something genuinely funny about the music and it can, and, and also in a deranged manic way which right. is like I, I love music that feels like it's about ready to come unwound at any second it starts and it's like the same thing as like the, what I was talking about with uh, Peruber Uber earlier is uh where the song you know the songs are like polyphonic so it does it feels like you have to do the assembly right like you, the more and more you hear it the more your your brain puts the song together which is cool and i and i think i kind of like that like I've, I've noticed with movies and music now uh a lot of a lot of movies and music and, and art in general uh i don't think it has a lot of faith in the viewer or listener uh it can be because there's a lot of the, the, a lot of like foreshadowing and done in, in movies is just hand fed to you and a lot of and music is kind of the same way like and here comes the chorus right you know? it's like,
0: well let's get to Sam's last pick I hated to skip past you there because you wanted to talk about a local artist Lithix with their song Excuse Generator
2: oh yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, performing um i first heard them live at uh, the art school they had a, they played a free show with this band called dry erase oh, mm. yeah. and
1: awesome. oh dry race really
2: good. and that show that's when music became real i'm sorry real <laughs> <laughs> like real for me um uh, it it made me want to make music for sure probably that band in particular
4: okay because it was
2: right there, I was like people I could actually talk to who were in my community and making something like something I'd never heard before, and yeah, it it felt like I could do that.
0: That's really cool. You had a chance to, yeah. to like uh, spend some time with them and sort of pick their brains about these things, uh, or
2: not that particular night, but um, they're they're in the scene and sure, you know, I, they bob runs the door a turn 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 sometimes and like they're just really and aubrey comes to my work to get sandwiches and like i don't know it's just
0: do you it, hook her up I, you can admit it
2: <laughs> yeah I'll, yeah yeah um
0: no one listens to this show it's fine
2: <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's yeah
0: well let's talk about the new ep coming out human dance um mm-hmm. where was this recorded
3: um, Red Lantern Red Lantern In thought. part In part at Red Lantern And then in part at Leave Space We did the vocals And, and dubs Oh it, it was live track completely At Red Re- Lantern Okay Except for the vocals And I think we add in Some percussion
1: Yeah Sam's uh, Glockenspiel
3: Thierman. Yeah Yeah theremin and Glock mm-hmm. so, But like all the Like guitars Bass drums That that was all Done live at Red Lantern And then Yeah And then Leave Space Which our drummer Danny Is his uh, new Budding studio mm.
4: mm-hmm.
3: Uh, I can't remember what side of town he's moving to but I'm sure he's going to probably open up shop there
0: so uh, is, is that important to you to have the music be tracked live mostly to have that feel
3: yeah totally that's that's the idea um, cause that's you know
1: we're a loud rock and roll band and yeah. loud rock and roll band should be loud and live yeah totally yeah that's like um,
2: it feels sterile to do one thing at a time yeah, you're not playing with each other, yeah. Then. Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah,
1: we write as a unit and as a band. You know, well, some sometimes, sometimes also, Brennan will like bring songs to the table, but a lot, a lot of the songs we have are written in like a live format or just yeah. riffing off each other. And even you know the ones written prior that Brennan brings, we kind of work with as a band.
3: Yeah, when I write so, when I yeah. write parts like I or if I write a song, be like guys, I wrote a song, I would be like this is what I had in the song, but do you with it, you know? like So So, so even stuff that like, that all brings still like the bands take it, doing their thing with
1: it. Okay. If we were to sit to click tracks, it just wouldn't have the same natural. Yeah. Uh, no. And we even tried, We I think we tried to do a click
3: track, but we practiced to a metronome for a week to try to tighten things up. I think that, that that's about like the, the most professionalism. I think the, the, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> yeah. the most amount of professionalism we took to it, aside from just actually just like, working on it from just just hashing it out you know the old-fashioned
0: way so your tape release show is again this saturday march 14th at bunk bar playing with miss rayon and cmos anything in the very immediate future for uv's but yeah we're gonna do a a split a split
3: seven inch with uh, miss rayon and that should be in a near-ish future
0: and you've got other shows coming up, the Eugene at WoW Hall the, the next night on yeah. the 15th. And then it looks like you're booked with Polaris Hall opening for yeah. O Rose. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That one's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, Brandon,
0: Sam, Jake, thank you all so much for coming down to talk about UVs and talk about the music yeah. you love.
3: Thanks for thank
1: having us. You. Oh, thanks.
0: Patricia Wolfe has been an important figure in the electronic music world for years now. At first, that was through her work as one half of the synth-pop group Soft Metals, a Portland-born project that released a pair of critically acclaimed albums through captured tracks. But after that project ended, she started embracing more abstract and ambient sounds, inspired in part by the work that she and her husband did curating a sound art gallery in town called Veriform. With new projects and gigs on the horizon, it was the perfect time to get her into the X-Ray studios to talk about her career, her work, her work and the strange self-consciousness that arose when moving away from a high-profile project like soft metals. Patricia, we'll thank you so much for being on World of Noise today.
5: Thank you so much for having me. Of
0: course. Now, uh, I feel correct me if i'm wrong it feels like you have become almost the go-to person to the go-to local person to open up for shows for amazing touring electronic artists lately between you know you're playing with pod blots you did or even beyond electronic you did the show with uh, c feel here in town Uh, you've got this show coming up with byron westbrook uh how has that been for you to to see this uh attention being brought your way
5: I really like it. I'm um, I like opening shows actually, and yeah. I just have I just started a new project that's very well suited to opening shows. It's called Cellular Chorus. Um, I like not having the pressure of you know headlining a show. Um, I don't know that, that it's nice to just have a supporting role, but that's also a, a very important role because you're yeah. setting the tone you're setting the mood for the whole night you're getting people warmed up and engaged in the space and in sound and um I don't mind that place in my music has gotten more mellow and mellow as time gets goes on so right yeah
0: well let's do talk about cellular chorus and this is your most recent project which is a very interesting concept and I wonder if you could explain that to people
5: so um this is a very new project for me, and um, it all started, I'd say, like the end of this past year, 2019. Um, I was invited by um, KPSU to be part of a show that was loosely connected to the Winter Lights Festival. Okay. And this one was more uh, of a sound and light show and the theme that I was given was how winter light and sound interact and to create a work that met that concept and it's pretty abstract and I thought a lot about it and one of the thoughts I had is how there's been a lot of days where I've been at work and then when I leave work in the winter it's dark right and Maybe I didn't see very much sunlight that day, and it's kind of strange and weird. And maybe I saw more light artificial light from my phone or from the computer or from indoor lights than the actual sun. Mm-hmm. And so that to me, was very present in my mind is winter light um that I think a lot of us experience. <laughs> and um, And I thought about how in the in the Pacific Northwest, so many people, feel isolated and maybe experience seasonal depression and, um, you know, isolate and go on social media and feel like they're connecting with people, but it doesn't really meet our human needs.
0: It's very true.
5: And I wanted to explore that idea. And I also wanted to do something that was uh, multi-channel or spatialized. mm mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be a pain in the butt and ask KPSU to source a bunch of speakers and equipment to like (laughs) route all of this audio. So, So I had this idea when I was already thinking about artificial light and phones and social media and all of these things about how how the winter time sort of affects people in our current day and age mm-hmm. and i said wow okay what if i actually had sound coming out of smartphones and i created a piece where people have to use their smartphones in proximity with each other rather than communicating at a distance how they're typically used wow. to come together use their smartphones for an immersive sound and light experience and that would force people to come out of their, you know, hiding holes, you know, in the winter, their <laughs> hibernation places, and actually look at each other and create a cool soundscape together. And so, I I thought that that would just, I didn't think that it was going to really be that exciting for people, but I wanted to try it. mm mm-hmm. And I know that cell phones can get really loud because I've gotten in trouble for <laughs> watching a YouTube video and thinking that no one else can really hear oh, it. Sure. like three rooms down, someone's like, turn it down. Yeah, so they can get quite loud. <laughs> yes. And so I went, I set about um, creating a, a, a whole bunch of loops, 64. Actually, there's a lot more and I just haven't put them all in yet, oh, but wow. there's 64 sounds in uh, cellular chorus now and the way you access it is you go to cellularchorus.com and when you arrive there um, you're going to want to make sure you have your silent mode turned off which that's the little switch on a lot of phones that allows you to hear your ringer or not so you want to turn it on so that if someone were to call you you would hear the ringer and then a sound will be ready to play and if you have your smartphone we can kind of demonstrate some of the sounds so when you go to the site a random sound so cellularchorus.com I'm
0: doing this in real time if I can type quickly with my fingers And if
5: you're at home listening Then you can do the same thing And what you're hearing from the radio Along with your sounds on your phone Then we can all play together So I'm going to start playing my sound now
0: Okay, and I'll start playing mine now
5: Silent mode turned off.
0: Yeah, it should be.
5: <laughs> I hear oh, your song. Okay. Oh, is. yeah. So that sound actually is a little bit quiet at first. You got a cool sound. Okay. <laughs> so you can use your volume, um, to adjust the your volume right. as a control to mix the sounds together.
0: a different one here.
5: Yeah. That's my voice. That is. <laughs> so we're having a little ambient loop.
0: <laughs> Performance per- right here. Yeah,
5: on our phones.
0: But I hope there are people listening that are doing this as well.
5: Yeah, join in. Join in <laughs> the cellular chorus. So. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea how this was going to be received when I first showed it. I was really scared because... Um, some of my friends who are, I don't know, they wanted me to really think about how this could go down because mm-hmm. I put a lot of work into it. Not only did I have to, you know, come up with what key I want to do this in, um, I had to set about collecting all these sounds and not really knowing how they're all going to sound together mm-hmm. because i these aren't synced together like they just play you know when you play when you press play they play and so the timing is really up to you and you know when you have a room of like 10 20 30 40 50 people like they're they could sync up together but that's i i didn't know if it would sound sloppy without it being synced together but it actually works i've shown it so many times now and it's just this crazy soundscape that sounds really pleasant and people actually really like it. The first time I showed it, uh, it went for at least 40 minutes, and I had to tell people to stop so that the next acts could go on. And yeah, so wow. I couldn't believe it. Someone, A lot of people told me, what if they only want to play with it for like a minute, and they stop? What are you going to do with the rest of your time? That's going to be awkward. You don't want to like force people to participate in something, you know?
0: <laughs> but that's not how it would work. I mean, I, I you know, someone like myself just trying it just now, I wanted to keep going, but we have an interview to do. Yeah, that's so, true. I yeah. could talk about
5: it forever. Yeah, could,
0: we could just play this in the background, but... Um, It's such an interesting concept. Uh, uh, Were you familiar with or thinking about uh, other artists that have done work in this same vein? The only one that I can think of at the top of my head is the Flaming Lips. They would do their sort of uh, boombox concerts where they would. I
5: hadn't even heard of that until after I had done this. Someone told me about it. They said that the audience members were given um, tape players and then they would. But they, from what I understand, I was told that they were sort of conducted to play it at exactly. certain times. But this is really up to the audience to determine that for themselves as a collective. So I'm not telling people, now you play and now you play. Right. It's about deep listening and listening to each other and exploring the sounds together and um, coming up with ideas of your own rather than having someone tell you what to do. All I say is like how to access it. Mm-hmm and from there it kind of takes on a life of its own and it's cool because people some people do decide oh i'm going to take charge and sort of like tell people let's go over here and like (laughs) put all these in this like resonant box here and like everyone puts their phones in there and and then you can hear like a more focused sound because they're all together and they're all resonating in this box right and and that I guess part of the idea too is that I know so many creative people, and I wanted to give people an opportunity to be a part of this. Who, who, who don't want to just be a spectator in sure. an event? They want to be a participant and also give up control of of a work that i do and allow for other ideas and other people to take ownership of it somewhat okay um
0: would would you be open to like introducing other people's loops into actually this? yes okay. um, that's
5: already in the works so cool. i'm gonna yeah so cellular chorus will become an online gallery and i'm going to start hosting other artists sounds on cellular chorus um so when you go to it It'll have their artist statement and their sounds, and it'll work pretty much the same way. And eventually, the whole thing will be open source, and so anybody could use the code. And I didn't program the website. I got my friend Jaron Hurd to mm-hmm. do it, but the entire concept is mine, and um, he helped me with the, um, the user just the way that it looks
0: the user interface yeah, yeah the user
5: interface um but yeah the idea was to have a website where you go to it in a random sound will be ready to be played right. and then they all play together to make a soundscape and um it was a really fun project to work on with him and I couldn't have done it without him, or it would have taken me forever to do all the <laughs> JavaScript programming. But sure. yeah, it's been super fun.
0: So when you have uh, shown this and presented this, uh, what is the the largest number of people that has participated? If you could guess,
5: I would guess somewhere between thirty and fifty. Oh my goodness! Yeah,
0: I mean that doesn't sound like a lot for a show, or, you know, or a performance, or a, you know, gallery showing, or however you want to call this. But that amount of sound coming out of thirty or fifty cell phones would be pretty impressive. Yeah, That must have been an amazing experience to hear that happening.
5: It was. um, It's always very surprising. It was really scary the first time because I thought maybe it would just sound like a mess. But (laughs) now I'm used to the way it sounds. It's kind of like this sparkly shimmering um, because everything's kind of starting at different times. Mm -hmm. But it's all in the same key. It's in the um, black key pentatonic scale, which was intentional so that if anyone wants to play along with it, at any ah, level okay. of, you know, your music abilities, you can easily find those black keys on a keyboard and play along. And then it becomes this, you know, this other way of participating in it.
0: Wow. Now, is that something that you hope happens in the future of, like, people using these at concerts or in, and using them with their band or something like that or, like, playing along with it?
5: Yeah, actually, um, this past week... Wow. There's so many things. <laughs> um, so I'm part of this group called Disquiet Junto. Mm. And it's it was started by Mark Wiedenbaum. Right. Who is a writer based in San Francisco, I believe.
0: He wrote a 33 and
5: a third yes, book. Yes, he Correct. did. Yeah. Aphex Twin. Exactly. You Boom. know. And I recently joined it at the start of the year. And um, I told him about this project because... Um, the Junto project is I don't know how many members there are but there's got to be several hundred maybe a thousand mm-hmm. but every week he assigns um, a recording project and then all the members it's something like kind of random and um, just, a, just a wacky challenge um, like the first one that I did was recording the sound of ice in a glass and then making a composition out of it So it's stuff like that, and um, then you just get really creative with that, you know, that concept. And so I told him about Cellular Chorus once it was up and running, and I felt like pretty good about it. Mm-hmm. And he proposed that it become a Disquiet Junto project where people use my source audio and remix it into their own composition. So I think there's twenty-five to thirty remixes of it now. people are using the source audio um, now in their own creative projects so it's, it's taken on a life of its own. Some people are using the, the sounds in their phone um, and then um, capturing it and running it through their modular systems, you know, doing like granular delay with it or, <laughs> you know, sampling it and, and having it work with their own compositions. It's just there as an audio source for that too. That's so cool. Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad that it's it's getting used. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But this is to be shared.
0: Of course, this isn't that unusual. I think for you because um, I forget, and you'll excuse me for forgetting the name of the company you've done work for, but you've created a lot of sound libraries for synthesizers. Do I am I, am I saying that correctly?
5: Yes, uh, I've been working with Novation. They're um, an England, English synthesizer company. And I started working with them, I want to say, in 2018. And uh, I did a sound bank or preset design for the Novation Peak. Mm -hmm. um, When they had their version 1.2 firmware update, they had new features. And they needed sounds to demonstrate those new features. So they invited me to be a sound designer for it.
0: The work that you're doing now with sound design and projects like Cellular Chorus seems like such an interesting point of evolution from where you started as a musician. Um, You know, your first project, Soft Metals, was very much in the pop dance realm. Um, They're not terribly dissimilar, I don't think. I mean, I feel like, you know, anyone can thread, you know, Soft Metals to what you're doing now, I think. But how has it been for you to... Be a part of that evolution to to see your work and see the way you approach instruments and uh, synthesizers and synthesized sound change all this after all these years.
5: Well, I spend more time on the synthesizers than I do with my voice. Which, when I was in soft metals, that was my main job. Was mm-hmm. I did help write the songs, but it wasn't really what I was known for, mostly because when we performed it was easier for me to just sing and to engage with the audience. But I've always had my hand in the synth, you know, with the synthesizers since. Well, I've been playing on synthesizers since I want to say 2003 or four. But I didn't really start performing in front of audiences until 2009. Okay. But um, I, I don't know. I after Soft Metals, I really just kind of had. A different outlook on being an, a musician and an artist. I wanted to really explore being a solo artist and that puts a lot of pressure on you. Oh, sure. And yeah, it is it is really hard to sing and play sense at the same time. And I think I just got really into playing sense and less on into singing. But I, I don't know. It doesn't feel that different, except I I feel like I just get lost in a sense, rather than like trying to put on like a song and dance show for,
0: <laughs> right the
5: audience. Yeah, it's more introspective mm-hmm. and um, atmospheric, and I don't know how to how to say <laughs> it's it, it's not. It's not as in your face or something. I don't okay. Know. Yeah.
0: And I imagine, and not to put words in your mouth, I imagine just having that space to let a a piece of music breathe and stretch and, you know, evolve on its own rather than thinking this has to have a start point and an end point because it's a song.
5: Yeah. Or that's a, a true. It's a pop song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My sounds, my so- well, when I first started going solo, I did sort of follow a similar type of um, format mm-hmm. that soft metal's had with the songwriting structure. But I I decided to, that I kind of preferred things just being more free-flowing and um, non-linear and atmospheric, mm-hmm. and I sort of abandoned that. For some reason, it just sort of took me out of this sort of like relaxed, trance-like state that I would get into, and I like a lot of music that's like that. Um, it doesn't bother me that it doesn't follow an A B, you know, verse chorus bridge, you know, right. format. I'm fine with that, um, and I I like being able to have like a more exploratory sound. So yeah, my sound is really different from soft metals in that way.
0: Absolutely. How was it to play your first show, though, to actually like, perform music in front
5: of people? It was really scary, yeah. but it was our, my very first show with Soft Metals mm-hmm. was in the basement of a friend's house, and it was just in front of other friends, and they were really supportive of me and Ian, and um, it was fun. I think people were impressed with what we had come up with, and I, I liked... I w- it was scary, but it was exciting, mm-hmm. and I felt like it was a good place to start.
0: Looking back at soft metals must have some difficult elements to it. And if you, you know, I don't want to really get into the, the, the minutia of that or, like, really start digging out personal details about that. But I just wanted to know, are, do you look back on a lot of that experience fondly? Do you feel like it helped you as an artist?
5: Yeah, definitely. It was an incredible experience. I still can't really believe that we did all the things that we did with that project. Um, we released two full length albums on Capture Tracks, which is That's a pretty huge, yeah, an amazing label, and, and also an EP with them. That was the first thing we did with them, and we did a really awesome European tour, um, thirty five cities, um, wow. and then a big North American tour, um, and we play up and down the West Coast all the time and had a really great reception and met so many great artists and just saw a lot of uh, amazing places um, that I don't know that I would have ever been able to experience outside mm-hmm. of that. Um, it just gave us so many opportunities and I'm really grateful for it. Um, and I learned a lot about the music industry, about um, just all the mechanisms that oh, sure. play and... And how different it is, the experience of being, like, an unsigned artist um, on a label that doesn't have the type of, like, if... Right now, I'm not, I do have labels that want to release with me, but it's not on the same level as, say, Capture Tracks. Okay. Where they have like incredible resources where, you know, they give you an advance to record and they have tour support money that they give you so you don't have to worry about covering your flights to get to Europe or whatever. Right. They have, they know how to squeeze blood out of a turnip getting the (laughs) money for artists. Like, we we would get sync licensing on TV shows and fashion shows and like you just get money coming coming in all the time for work you'd already done and that's not if you're not tapped into that like your experience as an artist you're struggling all the time to be heard to be appreciated Mm -hmm. and if you don't have you know a booking agent and if you don't have you know somebody a PR agent then you're just kind of shouting into the void you know as an artist no matter how hard you work Um, but Yeah, that that was a really interesting experience because we had every resource that an artist can possibly have, Mm. in my opinion. And, you know, I had the experience of being sort of a public figure, you know, getting um, reviewed on Pitchfork and, you know, getting reviewed on Fact Magazine and being called like the best synth pop album coming out of the U.S. that year and stuff like that, which is what the heck you know like i (laughs) never would have dreamed anything like that would happen and you suddenly have to rise to the occasion because i just think of myself as like just some local patty you know (laughs) playing around in the basement on synthesizers you know nothing to really like get excited about really but all of a sudden you're like i was thrust into this crazy public world yeah where people that i really respect were starting to be interested in what i was doing so that was pretty wild Because when we made music We weren't thinking about Who our audience was mm-hmm. We were just making it For ourselves And We never submitted a demo We never Really tried to push or anything big It was just all really random That it all came together A friend of ours that we sent a song to at the request Put it on their blog without telling us And then Pitchfork reposted it Gorilla vs. Bear reposted it And all of a sudden all these labels started writing us We only had one original song written at that point That is so crazy that, So I'm trying to explain like The r- crazy p- perspective that I'm coming from Like yeah. This was just supposed to be like A fun little local friend's you know, not too serious project, Mm -hmm. but then when you're given these opportunities, you don't really want to turn it down because, you know, it doesn't really happen (laughs) that often. That's true. Yeah. So I, I guess for me, it was like the struggle to try to rise to the occasion and always feeling like, you know, I'm a fraud, like I don't deserve this. You know, I'm not a classically trained musician. I'm self-taught and I don't know I didn't know how to sing. I had to take voice lessons to like meet the demands of being, you know, a vocalist on the stage or, you know, singing for an album that's mm. going to be reviewed and purchased by people, you know? So I'm like, okay, I got to get my my crap together like really quickly because, you know, I have a deadline. So yeah. I'm just like scrambling to actually become this person that people think that I am. Wow. And that I kind of like that model in a way because the challenge will force you to learn other um, something and it can be very stressful, but I think that you can actually learn it and, and do it to a certain degree and then spend the rest of your life trying to master it. But <laughs> um, I guess going back to what I said, like I feel really weird about becoming like a product you know like okay they liked this sound before so i kind of have to keep doing that to please my fans and to please the critics and you feel like you're like not actually free anymore you've and you're afraid especially if you've you know quit your job to tour and that becomes like this thing that you really are dependent upon not only financially but emotionally Um, For the feeling of support and love and acceptance from all these people that are suddenly in your life, like telling you that their album did this or that for them. And it's overwhelming and stressful and weird. And I'm sure like every artist deals with this and I don't know if everybody talks about it, but I don't have to deal with that really with my current situation. Like I, I don't play outside of Portland very often anymore. Um, I mostly play shows with my friends. I, I am very lucky to be invited to open for um, very well-known artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it is a little bit of my past with soft metals. Um, but maybe maybe the promoters feel like I'm a good fit for the sound. I don't know. But I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Um, but I, I feel more free at least. <laughs>
0: So you have a performance coming up on the 13th opening for Byron Westbrook at Disjecta. Uh, what can folks expect for this? Is this some more cellular chorus action?
5: No, I feel like I need to save cellular chorus for another time. Okay. I, I want to actually do my like b- some, my live set with my synthesizers. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to do cellular chorus at that one. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: Where can folks go to hear what music you have available online?
5: Right now, I have a SoundCloud page. Um, it's Patricia Wolf Music. And I have a song on a compilation um, for a record label called Dynamo Tapes. Mm-hmm. And um, that label released a benefit cassette and digital release, um, with, I don't rem- at least 10 or 12 different artists, um, more ambient music. And I have a song on that called Montezuma or on Pendola, and the tape benefits, um, rain, the rainforest. Excellent. Um, there's an organization that, um, I don't, I cannot recall the name of the organization at this time, but, um, I think they, they donate resources to restore and preserve rainforests and um, the, all of the um, profits went to support that.
0: Excellent. So that's
5: I've released a song on that on Bandcamp. <laughs> yeah. On
0: Dynamo Tapes. Dynamo the folk, Tapes. The folks who yeah. look for it that way. Well, Patricia Wolf, it's always a treat to speak with you. Thank you for being on the show today.
5: Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for the show. Thank you so much to Patricia Wolf and the members of UVs for being here, and thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, don't be afraid to drop me a line on Twitter at at W-O-N-X-Ray, and to subscribe to the podcast version at xraypod.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next week when I'll be joined by Sue Dixon, the new general director of the Portland Opera, and Daniel Biagi, the interim artistic director of the organization, to talk about their upcoming productions of Vivaldi's Bajazette. And singer-songwriter Monica Metzler stops by to talk about the psych folk music she records under the name Forest Vale. All that next week on World of Noise. Until then, thanks for listening.